Howard turned and walked down the hall, and I opened the door and dragged my suitcase into the room, feeling my shoulders sag with the relief of finally being alone. Well, you're really here, I thought. I slowly turned around, stealing myself for whatever Howard had meant by really nice. But then my heart practically stopped because, wow, the room was perfect. Soft light glowed from this adorable gold lamp on the nightstand, and the bed was antique looking with about a thousand decorative pillows. A painted desk and dresser sat on opposite sides of the room, and a large oval mirror hung on the wall next to the door. There were even a bunch of picture frames standing empty on the nightstand, and a dresser, like they were waiting for me to fill them up. It was just so me. How was it possible that someone who hadn't even met me had managed to put together my perfect bedroom? Then a gust of wind blew into the room, drawing my attention to the large open window. I walked over and stuck my head out. The headstones gleamed in the moonlight like rows of teeth, and everything was dark and eerily silent. No amount of pretty could make up for a view like that. I pulled my head back in, then took the slip of paper out of my pocket. Time to start plotting my escape. That's a quote from Love and Gelato by Jenna Evans-Welch. This is why a book chat, and I'm your host, Leah Stuhler. These days, more authors are including mental health content in their books. But do you ever wonder how accurate some of this stuff is? Or do you ever read something where you know the author just gets it? I'm Elise, and I'm Priscilla, and we are Novel Feelings, a podcast where we discuss mental health issues in fiction novels. We are psychologists and book lovers, and we have a lot of opinions. So look for Novel Feelings wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to your show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of YA Book Chat. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. And as always, a special thank you to my Patreon members. You know who you are, and I appreciate your support each month. Today, we are going to be chatting about the book Love and Gelato by Jenna Evans-Welch. And I am really excited to talk about this for so many different reasons. And actually, I have one of my Patreon members joining me today. You guys know her. Her name is Victoria Coops, and she has been here before. Say hello to everyone, Victoria. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Quick little plug here also. If you become a member of my Patreon, you too could get this perk of being on an episode with me. So to think about. Link is in my Instagram bio. All right. Commercial over. <laughs> How are you, Victoria? You want to um, say anything that's going on or maybe what you're reading right now? Oh, yeah. Um, jeepers. Oh, I just finished a fantastic novel that I would definitely recommend or will try to convince Leah to do on the podcast sometime. It is called Within These Wicked Walls by Lauren Blackwood. And it's like an it's um, an Ethiopian kind of take on Jane Eyre. Mm -hmm. And it was so good. Like maybe my favorite book so far of 2022 oh. of my reading list. And nice. um, I just like I ate that book up. I think I finished it in two days. Um, but other than that, things are going pretty good, like working on my own writing, enjoying the summer, super excited to be here with Leah again, talking about um, love and gelato. So it's, it's all good. Everything's fantastic. Awesome. And in case you guys did not hear my last episode that I did with Victoria, 
which was Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bowie. Victoria talked about how she is writing her own book and she is going to become a published author very soon. It has been picked up by a publishing company in Canada where she lives. So we are very excited about that. And you guys need to check all of the info on that out. It will be in the show notes for today. There will be links though. Thank you. Also become a Patreon member because that's super fun too. (laughs) (laughs) I loved, I loved your commercial. That was, it was really well done. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to get started in case this is your first time listening to the podcast, or just as a reminder for my regular listeners, Victoria and I will chat for about 15-ish minutes, spoiler-free first, and then we will dive into our spoiler section, and I will give you a warning before we do that. So the first thing we're going to do is just give you guys a plot overview really quickly. I'm just going to read the back cover of the book because it gives a really great description. Lena is spending the summer in Tuscany, but she isn't in the mood for Italy's famous sunshine and fairy tale landscape. She's only there because it was her mother's dying wish that she get to know her father. But what kind of father isn't around for 16 years? All Lena wants to do is go back home. But then she is given a journal that her mom had kept when she lived in Italy. Suddenly, Lena's uncovering a magical world of secret romances art and hidden bakeries, a world that inspires her along with the ever so charming Wren to follow in her mother's footsteps and unearth a secret that has been kept for far too long. It's a secret that will change everything Lena knew about her mother, her father, and even herself. People come to Italy for love and gelato, someone tells her, but sometimes they discover much more. And as someone who has been to Italy myself, I can definitely attest to that. People do go to Italy for love and gelato, but there is so much more to discover there, which we will chat about because all the things. I had so much nostalgia reading this book. It was ridiculous, (laughs) but in a great way. All right. So, Victoria, what did you think of this book? Let's hear your some of your overall thoughts on this. Well, I've always been fascinated with Italy. My like my step grandma is Italian. And so I've got a nonna, even though I'm not Italian at all. Um, and and yeah, there's just there is something about Italy, right? So this book definitely made me feel like I should be buying tickets as fast as I can and get myself to Florence ASAP. Mm -hmm. I've never been to Italy. I would love to go someday. And so this felt like, like (laughs) the entire novel was like a travel advertisement. (laughs) And so, um, I guess that just shows how fantastically written the setting is like, it was Mm -hmm. just really rich and it felt like, like you wanted to be there living the story with Lena. So that was really fun. Um, I, I always enjoy like a romance. I always enjoy a romance with a little bit of mystery and um, why a romance is kind of like my, my thing. So this is, was super fun to read. Yeah. And I think that's all I can kind of say without going too far into <laughs> like all the spoiler things. I'm curious, like after reading this one, because I haven't read the other love and books um, published by the author. And so so I'm curious, have you read those? 
Yes. I read both of the other ones. So the second one, in case you guys haven't read it, um, love and gelato is the first book. The second one is called love and luck. And then the third one is called love and olives. So book two takes place in Ireland and then Mm -hmm. book three takes place in Greece. And all three of them are definitely, you know, like you were saying, like travel brochure, like an (laughs) advertisement for these countries. So I have been to two out of these three countries and I like desperately, all of the books made me desperately want to go back to those two countries that I had been to. And then the third book, Love and Olives, because Greece is that I have not been there, um, made me most desperately want to go there and to the little island of Santorini where it takes place. And I also discovered that there's there's a bookstore in that book that's talked about. And I didn't know if she had made it up for the story or if it was real. Turns out it's real. And I looked oh. it up. It looks fantastic. And now I want to go there even more. (laughs) I love that. I love, I love when there's like these kind of like hole in the wall places in fiction books that end up being real. Um, like, and so, so I would, oh, that's super fun. I, I haven't read love and luck or love and olives. And the reason I'm hesitant is because this, this trilogy does something in YA that like, I think has been successful but isn't maybe something that I super love where it changes like the main character right so mm-hmm. so Lena is the main character in Love and Gelato but then her best friend Addie I think yeah right is the main character in the second one and then the third one I don't know how that character connects to the main storylines at all but like I just I'm always hesitant because I get so attached to characters uh-huh. and I just want more of like Lena and Ren. I don't want to fall in love with other characters because I get so focused on, on <laughs> those people. But then, I mean, like es- essentially if I just shifted my mindset and treated it as its own standalone book, then I think I could probably read the other two. And I, I probably will. It just hasn't happened yet, but well, here's what I'm going to say. Love and luck, you will you will love because <laughs> since it's based on Lena's best friend Addie, we do get Lena in the book as well. Like Lena mm-hmm. and Ren make an appearance in the book and Lena is talked about a lot by Addie, so there is still that big connection that's there along with the new storyline and following Addie. But because Addie is in Love and Gelato so much, it feels like you know her already. Right. So this is just kind of like discovering more and she's getting her own story, but Lena is in it. So Mm -hmm. I think you would do really well to read Love and Luck. Now, Love and Olives is different. And that did actually bother me a little bit because there's like, no connection. So in love and luck, there's like one spot where one of Addie's friends sends her a text message asking if, you know, a rumor that she heard about Addie's brother was true. Okay. And then that's it. That's all you get about that particular character who sends the text message. But that girl who sends the text message to Addie is the main character in love and olives. But like we, 
Addie and Lena are never mentioned in Love and Olives at all. Hmm. So it's, it is kind of like, it's its own story. Like it's, yeah, it's like, it's a standalone on its own. You would not know that it was, that there's any kind of connection at all to these first two books. It's its own well, thing. And- and I'm such a, I'm such a hypocrite because any, <laughs> any sequels. So for my own writing, I don't love it when, when books change perspectives, but that's how my first novel is written. I change mm-hmm. perspectives. I don't love it when sequels or like a trilogy shifts main characters, but my, like what I have outlined for a sequel for my first book would likely be shifting characters and stuff like that. And so, so I'm, I'm <laughs> such a hypocrite because I do all the things that I claim I don't like, which maybe means that I actually do like them and I should just ease up on my like rules or whatever. But no, I, I, I've been to Ireland, so I am sure mm-hmm. I would love the second one, love and luck. Um, and I've always wanted to go to Greece too. So I'm like, again, it's more of a mindset thing. And I find that when I have that mental block, when it comes to a book, I I'll eventually get over it. And then I'm like, Oh, why did I wait so long to read these? Um, but I didn't know that when I read love and gelato I Mm -hmm. in my brain thought they were like a continuous trilogy like most YA is um and so I got in and then I got in too deep before I could turn around because it is (laughs) such a good book it's so fun anyway so yeah once once I got past that in love and olives that there was absolutely no connection once I realized that they were not going to mention Addie at all I was able to kind of I was like okay you know I just kind of like switched my brain and was like, all right, I'm just going to read this as if it's a standalone. And then, so I can enjoy it for what it is. And so after, after I realized that I was able to enjoy it a lot more. And again, because I've never been to Greece, it allowed me to really like, you know, envision kind of what this area was. And I, and I was constantly like Googling the different places to look it up just like I did with the first two books. I mean, actually Love and Gelato, I've been to Florence and Rome. So this was like, I could picture all of it in my head. I knew exactly what she was talking about and it was fine. Love and Luck, I've been to like one of the places that they go to, but not any of the other ones. So I was constantly like Googling and looking up pictures. And so um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I think, I think you'd do good to at least read, at least read love and luck. I think you really should. You will like that one. <laughs> okay. I'll add it. I'll add it to my list okay. right away. Okay, good. And that goes for everybody else listening too. So, <laughs> the, oh, here's the other reason why you'll really like love and luck. Okay. And then I promise everybody we're going to get back to love and gelato, <laughs> but they are connected. So this is important information. Okay. Love and luck. She, Addie, finds a guidebook in the hotel in Ireland, and she uses it, like, along her journey. I'm not going to say how, but the, like, narrator of the guidebook is kind of snarky and just has this feel to her that I know that you like and will really enjoy. So... So that's another reason, like you need to, she's just kind of like a no nonsense, um, kind of 
snarky, like get with the program. This is how it is chick, you know, kind of attitude. So I think that, I think that, that you would really like it for that reason too. Okay. I'm, I'm sold. I will go okay. and add it to my, um, my library app right away. Okay. Good. <laughs> Um, all right. So yeah, I absolutely loved this book. I, you know, like I said, I have been to Florence and to Rome. And so for me, it was just very nostalgic and a lot of fun reading about all these places that I've been to and was able to just picture them in my head and remember when I was there and dream about eating gelato again, because, oh my gosh, you guys, it is seriously the most amazing ice cream you have ever had in your life. And let me tell you something. There are, there are companies who sell quote unquote gelato, like that you can buy in the grocery store. That is not real gelato. Okay. It is not the same at all. You need to go to like an Italian place where they sell it. Like if you live in New York city, there's, um, Oh crap. What's it called? (laughs) It's in, there's one of these in Chicago too. It's in Chicago and New York city. They are, it's in Greenwich village in New York. I'm going to forget the name of it now. Anyway, it's like a whole market, like Italian market and they sell gelato in there and it's fantastic. So like you need to go to a real Italian place to get gelato. Don't buy any of that store grocery store crap that says it's gelato. Cause it's really not. <laughs> okay. Word to the wise. Um, but no, I just, it's a very sweet story. I love, um, Jenna Evans Welch's writing style, you know, and we have this story of a 16 year old girl who's she's 16. So she doesn't know who she is and what's going on. And then you have her mom dies from cancer and her dying wish is for her to go to Italy to discover where she lived herself for a little while and live with this man who is her father. And she has no clue. She's like, well, he never contacted me in all 16 years. So why would I want to do that? And then she gets there and she's living in a place where she's not exactly excited to be. So like, there's a lot that's happening with her that she has to kind of deal with. And she goes through a lot of really hard circumstances. And I like it for that reason too, because there's a lot that teenagers go through. We go through a lot as adults, you know? And so, but unfortunately a lot of teens do have to deal with the death of a family member, the death of a parent, you know, early, which is really sad and something difficult. And so you have to figure out kind of how you're going to cope with that. So I appreciated that. That was something that, um, the author tackled in this. Cause I think that that's an important theme that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. In my like day job, quote unquote, I'm a school social worker and deal a lot with like hard stuff, TM, like capital H, capital S. Um, and, and it's stuff that I think adults are uncomfortable talking about grief and dying and death and mourning, which are all different. Right. And, um, I really liked that, like grief and mourning were a part of this story. And really, Mm -hmm. it it really reminded me of like, P.S. I love you, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the romance novel where the husband writes letters to his wife to be opened after he dies from cancer. It was a very similar vibe because, because the idea was that Lena's mom is trying to give her a gift, um, to, 
help Lena through the grieving and mourning process. And like, that is hard stuff for adults to do. It's super hard for like adolescents, children who don't have like maybe as much life experience, or this is the very, like very first major loss they've ever had in their life. Um, maybe don't feel comfortable expressing their emotions. Right. And that all gets stirred up really, really intensely when you lose, especially a parent because of the type of relationship that is. So like Mm -hmm. it is, it is such a fun and awesome story. Like it's such a fun, lighthearted story, but underneath of all of that, you've got like this really solid foundation of like grief and dying and, and cancer and mourning. And what does that actually mean when you're a teenager? Right. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was done really, really well. It could have been done very poorly, but it was done super, super well and was maybe my favorite element of the story apart from the romance, because let's be honest, I was reading for the romance (laughs) (laughs) apart from Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Um, the the journey that Lena is on, um, kind of exploring her grief in Florence was so good. It was yeah. so good. So yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you that it's it's like hard stuff to talk about. And it was mm-hmm. it was written about well. I agree. And I I liked how the conversations that Lena had with Howard too, because Like for me as a teacher, you know, over the past two years, I have had middle school students whose parents have passed away during the school year. And I was like, I don't know how to approach this with my student. Like, I don't, you know, I mean, I just would tell them, you know, I'm here for you. If you need anything, you know, if you, um, feel uncomfortable with something we're doing because I'm a theater teacher. So we do a lot of role play, obviously, and I can't control what everybody does. Like I would try and put, be conscious of it and put limitations on things so that like students wouldn't come up with a death scene that I felt like could, you know, hurt the student whose parent had just passed away. So, um, but it's still, it's really difficult to know what to say and, you know, and how to be there for them sometimes. So I appreciated the conversations that she had with Howard too, and how Howard was kind of helping Lena work through it and how he was, um, reacting to her and kind of dealing with it as well. So, well, and he's kind of awkward, right? Like, so mm-hmm. it is, it's pretty honest, I think. And, and I like how, like, this is not a spoiler, just very early in the novel, Lena is kind of exploring how people are awkward around her now, you know? And so like, I end up having a lot of those awkward conversations because when there is a parent death or a student death, it's our counseling team that is brought together to like, uh, navigate that with mm-hmm. students and teachers and support staff who have to have those hard conversations with their classrooms or whatever that looks like. And, and like, you don't get a lot of that kind of immediate intervention in love and gelato because it's like set six months after the death of Lena's mom. But you, you do get like, like just elements of it because obviously six months is not enough time to grieve your, your mother. And so that's a lifelong experience. And, and like it carried through the whole book in just really beautiful kind of potent ways. And I actually, I don't cry very often in novels. Like I, 
actually like ever like I never cry <laughs> when I read a book and I don't know why um but this book like almost got me it was almost. like right towards the end it was very very close I definitely had some like tears in my eyes but I wasn't sobbing yet but it's just it was mm. yeah it was like really sobering under kind of this huge adventure that Lena goes on that you're just like whoa what is happening yeah. um and and you love her mom because yes. she loves her mom right like, yes and that's the other thing I love too is that through her mom's journal we get to know her mom too which is great because you know her mom and this is not a spoiler because it's in the description but her mom dies right away like at the beginning of the book first chapter so you know we do, you don't spend much time with her mom but then we have the journal so we do get to know her mom as well through all these different experiences that she went through in Italy um which is great cuz it's like you're getting to know her mom at the same time that Lena is getting to know her mom too. And so you're discovering it together with her, which is a really cool experience. I love when I'm reading something and the character is discovering something and I'm discovering it with them at the same time. I, I just like that feeling. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just me, but I enjoy that. <laughs> that's what the entire mystery genre is about. <laughs> true. This is very true. That is why there's a genre. <laughs> Oh, dedicated to so that true. feeling. <laughs> Very true. I also really appreciated that Jenna Evans Welch was writing about a place that she has been to and traveled to, because let me tell you something, there is a difference between an author who writes a book about a place that they have never been to and an author who writes a book about a place that they have traveled to. And you can tell because I've read both and you can definitely tell. And so I really appreciated that this was, um, and it says, you know, in her author's bio that she has been there and she lived there for a little while when she was in high school. So it's, fun. It, I, I really appreciated that because then the descriptions of Florence and Rome were very accurate, which is what you need. Because if you have readers like me or you who have been to these places before, it's got to be an accurate description or they're going to be like, um, that's not correct. You know? So, and there's yeah. only, there's only so much like looking something up on uh, Google or wherever, you know, to get a description that can, that you can do when you're writing yeah. about it, you know, like it's Italy, ha Italy is, it's not just how it looks like it has a feel to it. It's, oh my gosh. You know, like I can't, I cannot even, when I think about Italy and the times that I was there, like, I just can't even, it just makes me feel a certain way. Like I just love it. I don't even know how to describe it, you know? So like, just it's like a, it's like a vibe, right? Like yeah. I, I, I definitely echo that. Like that's the whole, it's the whole writing adage of write what you know, if you, mm -hmm. if you haven't been somewhere, it's going to be hollow of that, that atmosphere, that vibe. And so like set something where you've been. And I think that like, I didn't know that Jenna Evans Welch, like it's obvious that she's been to Italy because it has that atmosphere that would be missing if she hadn't been. And like, for me, I, uh, I'm constantly trying to travel. Like I'm constantly looking for opportunities to travel. I, I love going places and experiencing new cultures. 
And I've like gone so far as to be like, if I set this book in Peru, I could get a grant to go do research in Peru, mm. <laughs> right? Like, like I, cause yeah. there's, there's money out there for writers who need to research and travel. So I'm like always concocting schemes on how I <laughs> could go somewhere to like set a book there. But I mean, it's done better when you've actually had time to like be there. And if yeah. she lived in Italy when she was younger and if she's been back since then, like obviously the setting is going to be what she knows. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it works. And I don't know if for love and luck and love and olives, if she's been to those places, it definitely also, cause I didn't say, but it definitely both of those also read like she's traveled there as well. So those were very well done also in that aspect. So, all right. I think that's good for that section. Now, for those of you who maybe have clicked on this episode because you saw it's love and gelato and you're like, Oh, I saw there's a movie about that on Netflix. I am. I am going to talk about the movie. <laughs> um, maybe not in the way that you might feel about it, but I will, but we're going to do that. I'll do that first actually in the spoiler section here in just a minute. I can't, I can't do it in the not spoiler section because everything I have to say about it involves spoilers. <laughs> so, but if you've watched the movie on Netflix, then please, please keep listening. Okay. So you can hear that section. Um, and my thoughts on it in comparison to the book. So, but yeah, anyways, for everybody else, this is the point where we are going to go into spoilers now. So if you have not yet read the book and you don't want it spoiled, then you would stop listening here, come back after you have read the book and then finish the episode. If you have read the book or watched the movie, or if you don't care about spoilers, then please, by all means, continue listening. All right. We are going to, you've been warned. So here we go. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say about this movie. I have not actually watched it, okay? And that is because I refuse to watch it <laughs> because I love this book so much. Now, let me say this because I saw the trailer for the movie and I was flabbergasted, okay? And so I kept watching Jenna Evans Welch's Instagram because I was curious about it. I was like, what happened? Right. So she wrote a post on Instagram where they, the company approached her about making this movie and she was excited and she wanted it to be made, but she said she didn't have like the time or the ability, you know, the time that she needed to give to it, to help writing the screenplay and to be involved in the production of the movie. So she gave complete rights over to Netflix, which means they can do whatever the heck they want with the story. And they did. Now, I will also say, she did also say, you know, that um, she watched the movie herself and that she really loved it. She liked the characters, you know, and she she liked what Netflix did with it. But if you have read this book and you watch the trailer or watch the movie, you will know it's a totally different story, which really aggravates me. I I'm just like cackling here yes. off, off <laughs> mic because because I uh 
like Leah warned me that this was going to happen. <laughs> I had not seen the Netflix trailer. I knew that it was coming, but it was the end of the school year. I was distracted with other things. Wasn't really like tuned in to what was um, what was being released on Netflix other than Stranger Things. Um, and so, so like I hadn't watched the trailer or anything like that. And, and Leo was like, are you going to watch it? Have you seen it? It's horrible. <laughs> and I was like, oh, surely she's exaggerating. Like, surely there, <laughs> it can't be that bad. <laughs> I wish I had been exaggerating. So I like very naively went to watch it and and my husband was sitting there with me on the couch as we were watching the trailer. Cause I was like, well, I like, I can understand some deviations. Like I'm not a purist mm-hmm. when there's an adaptation involved. I, I understand that changes have to be made to, to match the medium you're working in. Right. And so like, I'm okay with them changing things. If it makes the movie a better, more truer version of the book, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is not that. No. <laughs> so, so like it's like I I was trying to count like count what was the same like even <sighs> remotely and I think you've got like you've got a character named Lena mm-hmm. whose mother has passed away and it's set in Italy and there's a journal and that's all that was like maybe vaguely similar. <laughs> there is a Howard as well. Oh, there is a Howard. And a Francesca. And an, I mean, there's some of it, mo- most of the same characters, but um, yeah, that's as far but as it goes. Totally like it, like there's a montage of like oh. Lena getting gussied up with who with, is that with, who you is know what? That? I don't think it's even, it's not even Thomas. No, like I'm just like, so it's confused. a different guy. Okay. Like, so totally confusing. Anyway, that so means- it's like, yeah, explain. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so if you have not watched the movie, okay, or even seen the trailer, here you go. So the trailer for the movie is this. Lena, her mom dies, she goes to Italy. Uh, however, she it takes place in Rome instead of in Florence, which takes away from most of the story right there because her and Ren go to all these places in Florence where her mom went to all these places in Florence. They only go to Rome once where, because that's where her like real, her father is. And so she goes to find him in Rome, but they're only there for a day in the book. But the movie, the entire movie takes place in Rome. Okay. Addie, her best friend is also in the movie Now, in the book, she just video chats with Addie. She talks to her on the phone. But in the movie, Addie goes to Italy. She goes to Italy. (laughs) That doesn't happen in the book at all. And she has this, like, whole thing and this whole trip and, like, let's do all this stuff together, Lena. And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's a love triangle that's, like, way more competitive than the, like, I guess technically there's a love triangle in the book but it's like it's but, not really a love triangle like no, let's be honest right no. like and and it looks like in in the movie like she's actually like kissing both of the guys and like just yeah. just it it felt um like it did not surprise me that it was a like uh YA romance teen movie mm-hmm. but it did not feel 
feel like the YA book that it was based on. And yeah. and it's just like the trailer. Like it's just all of that from the trailer. So I I mm-hmm. text Leah and I was just like, uh, <laughs> you were right. And I don't think I'm going to watch this movie, even though it looked like a movie that I probably would have enjoyed otherwise. Like if it was right. just its own thing, if it wasn't attached to Love and Gelato, if it had a different title, I probably mm-hmm. would have enjoyed watching it because it's Same still looks fun but it's yeah. just so different and like not yeah. in a way that was appealing as someone mm-hmm. who has read the book right so right. it's one of those situations where you have to kind of go either or or you watch the movie first and then you read the book right and you enjoy the book more that way because i don't think you can enjoy the movie the other way right um although i do feel really like compassionate i don't know i just i feel <laughs> i feel for Jenna mm-hmm. Evans Welch, because I get why she couldn't be involved. And I just imagine that must have been such a hard decision. And then yeah. for like readers like Leah and myself to be like, it's terrible. <laughs> right. Like that. <laughs> I'm like, I, she's a stronger woman than I am because that yeah. would wreck me. I me would feel too. so devastated that my readers wouldn't feel like they could connect with the film that I greenlit, right? Like that I sold the rights to. And so eh, it's complicated. I feel for her. I probably won't watch the movie. Sorry. I won't either. I'm not going to either. I can't like, it'll just ruin it for me. And I don't want it ruined. Which is so devastating because like how many books like get Mm -hmm. turned into a film adaptation. Right. Right. Like the, yeah, I mean it's a big deal for yeah. authors to have their books turned into movies or even TV shows. And so when something like this happens, it's really disappointing, I feel like. So Yeah. Well, know. and and I I respect that she made the best decision for her career at the time that right. like it happened for her. Like I I get that because it's very hard to navigate. Like, when is this opportunity going to happen again? If I say mm-hmm. no now, am I being arrogant? Right? Like, there's a lot that goes into a decision like that. And so I totally respect that she made the choice that she made. I think it must have been super brutal and super difficult. Yeah. I, I think it's awesome that she re- like watched the film and, and is promoting it herself too. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm so sad. I'm so sad for her and for myself. Me too. Cause so. it's, yeah. I mean, it's also like they made, it looks like they made Francesca into a lot bigger character. Like, cause you know how, so in the book, Howard has, um, oh, I'm not going to remember her name, but there's the woman who also works with him at the cemetery. What's her name? Sylvia. Anyways, it's something like that. It's I something can't remember. Like that. <laughs> she, and she is a big part of the book as well, Mm -hmm. you know, and she tries to help out Lena also. I mean, she is, she takes Lena to buy the dress, you know, like she's like, Oh, I know exactly where we need to go. Right. But so what it looks like from the trailer is that they've turned her character and put that in Francesca because they said it in Rome, right? Francesca there instead and made Francesca that person instead of, um, because which they would have to do if you change the setting because there's no cemetery which is right. like the whole like beginning of the book she's like I can't I have, can't believe I have to live in a cemetery you know yeah. what I mean like and so taking that away too especially because this cemetery I looked it up so okay 
there's not actually, it's not named in the book. Like she doesn't say the actual specific name of the cemetery, but I was curious. So I Googled it and I found it. It's called the Florence American Cemetery. And when I looked at the pictures of it, it's actually, it's beautiful. Like it's a cemetery, but it's beautiful because you know how in like military cemeteries here, they have all the crosses and they're all in like perfect rows. Yeah. That's what it looks like because it's a military cemetery. So it's all the white crosses, like perfect and perfect mm-hmm. rows. And then at the back is where the big memorial is. And then off to the side, you can see the caretaker's house. And then of course the backdrop is Tuscany, which I mean, just gorgeous. gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it really is a beautiful cemetery, but of course a 16 year old is going to be like, I don't want to live in a cemetery. This is, you know, <laughs> Well, and I mean, in terms of theme too, like having it set in Uh a cemetery is huge for like the grief and dying elements of the theme. I'm like Uh Netflix. I've got words for you. Right. Words for you. It takes so much away from it. I don't know. And then, like you said, the whole love triangle, because so she's, which really isn't in the book. Like she's got Ren, which we're going to talk about in a little bit here, because love me some Lorenzo. But he, you know, she really has feelings for him, and she spends all of her time with him. She meets Thomas, of course, and thinks that he's this hot British guy because he is a hot British guy. I mean come on, the British accent, right? We all fall for those. Let's be honest. But like, (laughs) um, so, but he's, it's not really a love triangle in the book. He's there and there's like a temptation, but it's not really a love triangle at all. Like he tries stuff with her at the end when they go to the party, but she is totally not into him. She's just in love with Ren. So, but in the trailer, his name isn't even Thomas. It's somebody totally different. So yeah, I I didn't pick up on his name, but like his character is way more dislikable somehow. Yeah. (laughs) And she says in the trailer, a sentence like, I don't know how I'm going to choose between them. And I'm like, no, no. Now I also, to be fair. Okay. I'm also not the biggest fan of love triangles either. So that's kind of another, uh, minus points on for me. (laughs) Some people like them. I don't, but I don't know. It just seems like it got completely changed. Like this is dare I say this. Okay. Lots of people know my opinions on the divergent movies. Okay. I loved the books. I hated the movies. Not, I mean, the first movie was at least like it was like the book. And so that was fine. I just thought it was boring, but, (laughs) but then like book two and three has elements of the plot, but then they change it. Like by the time you get to movie movie three, I mean, it's totally different and that it ends completely different than Allegiant ends. So like that aggravated me. And I, but I gotta be honest, like this is worse for me because it's totally different, at least with the divergent movies, like I said, the first one is totally like the book and the other two have plot elements. They just chose to change it, to end it the way they wanted instead of the way she wrote it, because the way she wrote it 
caused a lot of controversy and so many people didn't like it, but this is different. I feel like this yeah. is worse. Well, the, the other thing that's weird and a really strange difference that I was like, Netflix, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> is that they age Lena up. She's, yeah. she's like 18 or whatever going into college. And she, that's like some like a plot point, I guess, because she has an MIT sweater on mm-hmm. and she's like, she's the, the broody, handsome British guy who's supposed to be <laughs> Thomas is supposed to be going to Boston as well for university. Mm-hmm. And so like, it was just really bizarre to me that like, they didn't even keep her aged the same. Yeah. <laughs> like, I and I, I guess I think from a, cause I always have to like, when I get very judgy, I have to like take a step <laughs> back and like, think about it because it's all to make money, right? right. Like, like Hollywood and Netflix and it's all about generating wealth and money. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, they obviously had a focus group or whatever. And this was what was going to sell in terms of this story. Um, And so it's almost like they, they tried to take, they, they, they deviated from the book in ways that were to like make the story more sexy. Right. Mm -hmm. So setting it in a cemetery versus setting it in Rome at your like fashionista auntie's house, right? Like what is the sexier setting? Well, you're going to go with Rome with Francesca and the sexy fashionista-ness, right? Instead (laughs) of a cemetery, which I'm like, isn't necessarily the spirit of the book because it's, it's not like a sexy romance. It's a very sweet, it's a very heartfelt story. Um, And I don't know if, that's what like, I don't know, producers at Netflix are like looking for when they're yeah. when they're trying to sell as much content as possible or whatever. Right. But it's just and it is just sad. It just makes it me feel sad. <laughs> it is. I'm going to be curious to see how well it does and if they do the other two books also. So I my instinct would probably be that it's not going to be super successful. Um, and not for and readers then, like us, <laughs> not for readers like us. And, and I don't know if they would continue with the, yeah, with the, um, sequels and like, which see, and this is why I'm like, which is I would really love to be involved with some of these conversations about like production meetings, right? because, because I'm like, if you're banking on readers being the ones who are going to like be your audience and drive viewership, then you need to be a little bit loyal to those readers and not right. change the entire thing. And if you're not, then that's fine. But this story isn't um, like it's competing with Stranger Things right now. So it's not going to right. compete more <laughs> than Stranger Things. So it just seems like a really weird, almost like shooting yourself in the foot to be like, oh, we're yeah. going to change it. So readers are angry and aren't going to watch it. But we're <laughs> also going to release it like a week and a half before stranger things or whatever right like it just seems yeah strange like, to me not good timing i mean because even even if i had been interested in watching the movie i totally still would have watched stranger things first like that's priority stranger things is priority you know absolutely so. <laughs> it's a good thing that this isn't a isn't a um, spoiler free zone for stranger things because i just finished it last night oh, holy smokes I holy know. smokes Anyway, I finished it. I finished it Saturday. And last night I finished Umbrella Academy. I took a break from Umbrella Academy season three so that I could finish Stranger Things <laughs> and then went back to Umbrella Academy. 
that's where yeah. Leah's priorities are. You could see that love and gelato <laughs> isn't even in the nope in the running. At least the Netflix version, which was disappointing to say the least, and by no means reflects the author at all. Not at all, because it was not her decisions, just so we're clear on that. We know and support this author. Okay. So anyway. One thousand percent. Last my last thought on this, then we're gonna move on. So it's a shame because so when Netflix did the movies for To All the Boys I've Loved Before, they were fantastic and like super, I mean, they changed a few things, but it was different. Now the author was very involved in those productions and has a cameo in each movie, which I think is super fun. Um, So, I mean, again, you know, that is kind of the difference, but what can you do? She had to do what was best for her. So all right, let's, let's move past this point. Okay. <laughs> let's talk about the romance with Lena and Lorenzo, also known as Ren. Oh man. I knew, let me just say like from the beginning of this book, even when she Ren takes her like to the party for the first time and she meets all the other students from the school who don't think she exists by the way, which I think was hilarious. Um, and she meets Thomas. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's the hot British guy, but there's no way that's going to happen. Like you kind of know from the beginning, it's going to be Ren. You can't have a book, like you can't have a book set in Italy and then have her fall in love with this British dude, right? Like you just know. And, and Ren is like, he's just, he's got this like golden retriever energy. Like you just Mm -hmm. love him like a puppy right away. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I, there was no contest on who she was going to choose Uh at the end. And I don't even know if it was like intended to be set up like that. Right. Like I think Thomas was there as kind of like an obligatory second guessing and maybe to mirror Mm -hmm. like Hallie's story and Lena's story, right. Like Mm -hmm. that, that there was kind of a love triangle with Lena's mom. And so there's sort of a love triangle with Lena, although the love triangle with Hallie Howard and then like Lena's biological father was much more a love Mm -hmm. triangle than even what was going on with Thomas and Lorenzo because Ren, he just like, it's just so obvious. And she realizes that pretty quickly too. Like it's like halfway through the book and she's like, Oh, I'm in love with him. No. Yeah. I totally agree. And I love too. This what's fun for me is that there. I thought this was great. I loved how Jenna Evans Welch made this happen. Like both Ren and Lena are half Italian and half American, and so then like at the end we get this fantastic line where Ren is like, "Hey, we make one whole Italian." <laughs> just this like small little line but it's it's so perfect and cute it's one of those things that makes the like the love story come together like wraps it up together at the end and I'm like oh that's so fun it's a total 16 year old thing to say you know and and so on brand for his character (laughs) I was just like oh like not shocked at all no and it's fun I love it um something else that I so the other thing about Thomas too is that Ren has a girlfriend a kind of I mean yes but it's like one of those weird on again off again you know she's mm-hmm. clingy kind of weird situations but so Thomas is like the you know like oh the boy Ren has a girlfriend so he's kind of off limits but oh there's this other guy 
but right. she spends all of her time with Ren. Mm-hmm. And so we all know that that's when you develop feelings is the one you're spending all the time with. And oh my gosh, I love how Howard and whatever her name is. Sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, you guys. I really just don't remember Howard and the woman who he works with are both like, like towards the end when she's in the car and she spills her guts to them about being in love with Ren and all this stuff about the party and what happens. And she kissed him and then he pushed her away. And then she said the stupid thing about like, I I don't really have interest in you. And like, anyway, the whole thing. And, and they're just like, oh no, he's, he's totally got feelings for you. Like I can tell him the way that he looks at you, you know, like, I love that they both see that and they're just like, oh yeah, there's, there's no doubt about this kiddo. You got this, you know, Sonia, her name is Sonia. Thank you. You're welcome. I, it was driving me nuts. I was like, it's Stacy or like Sydney. And I'm like, no, it's not those names. It's Sonia. I knew it was an S name yeah me too I was right there (laughs) Stacy was the one that was sticking in my head but it wasn't it's yeah Yeah, no and like I I, this this kills me about the about the Netflix adaption is that Sonia is not it doesn't look like she's in it and I really liked her character like the adults in this book are fun which is another reason that it's like a fun book to read as an adult who appreciates and reads a lot of YA right like Mm -hmm. that you're like ah yes the teenagers and their shenanigans Lena's Lena's adorable Ren's adorable they're all fantastic but like like Howard and and Sonia are like stand up fantastic awesome people Uh and like they're just they're like so good for Lena like they just cheer her on Right. And, and Howard, can we just talk about how Howard scares the crap out of Ren? And it's hilarious because Ren is like freaked out the entire book to talk to Howard and thinks Howard hates him. And it's so funny. I just, and I like, I actually don't always love the like um, overprotective father trope like that, Mm -hmm. that sometimes bothers me, but like, because Howard is such a gentle character he's such a gentle guy he's so sweet and kind like it's super funny that he's that intimidating to Ren and also because he's physically a very big man right like that yes that's um one of the plot points in the book is that Lena doesn't look like Howard right because she's Mm -hmm. short dark and Howard is like like tall six plus like six feet plus um and he's got like sandy blonde hair and stuff like that and like yeah i can just imagine how he's such a cinnamon roll but he also scared the pants off of ren and like ren wasn't even interested in dating lena at that Uh time right and so so he holds that (laughs) with him the entire book and you're just like well that was done well i liked Mm -hmm. that i loved the chapter 14 where they're going to go to the nightclub space together and Mm -hmm. Ren comes to the door and Howard yells up to her, you know, Ren is here. And she asks him to tell Ren that she's still getting ready. And then she says, and don't scare him. And Howard yells, I'll do my best. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I love Howard. Like I, I loved Howard and I just, Oh man, it was so interesting to see how much we love Howard as readers Mm -hmm. and then be like experiencing, like you said, Lena experiencing and learning about her mom through the journal, um, which was really well done. Like the journal 
was really, really well done in terms mm-hmm. of like a narrative device. And it had like its own tone. It was so good. Yeah. Um, but like you're learning about how Hallie didn't recognize that Howard was so fantastic, which just which felt like a sucker punch the entire way through because you're right? just like, I love Howard so much. But let's think about this. How often does that happen? All like, the time. Can I just tell you that happened to me in college? Like, I mean, I had this guy who, you know, I went out with this one guy and then I had this other guy who was like, but I was really interested and wanted to date. And I was like, I just can't right now. Like I had just gotten my heart broken into a million pieces by this other idiot. And I was like, I can't do it. But like, I knew, but he was so fantastic. Like I missed out because he was so fantastic, you know, but it's like, there was this other guy, it's like the same thing. Anyway, like we all do that, you know, like at some point or another, something like that happens to us, but it's, like you yeah. take it for granted, right? Like yeah. you take for granted because you get swept up in this ideal or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and like, it's, it was really beautiful how Holly recognized that before she died and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so the story like starts with her sending Lena to like connect with Howard, even though she knows that Howard's not Lena's biological father. Right. So like, I, I, I don't know, like I thought that was really interesting and, and like just spoke to Howard's character, like the type mm-hmm. of person he is. And you, you feel that the entire way through the book and then you find out at the end and Howard is just so chill about things. Right. <laughs> You're just like, he's so cool. Like I want I Howard know. to be my dad. I mean, he, you know, and we find out that Lena's dad, her biological father is a total jerk. And yeah. he, he, when she goes to see him in Rome and he acts like, Lena's mom was crazy and like she made up their whole affair and it was, you know, and she was being stupid and hysterical and all the things. And then there's Howard and how, like he just takes her on and he made this beautiful bedroom for her. Like she walks in and she's like, it's so me. How did he do this? It's perfect. You know, he creates this beautiful bedroom. He takes her under his wing. He buys her a cell phone within like two days of her being there. So she can have her own phone while she's there. He, you know, already has her like ready to be enrolled at the school. He's trying to like, you know, he introduces her to Sonia and gets her hooked up with her and is trying to like, you know, make sure he takes her out to Florence himself for mm-hmm. a night and like just all these things to try and make her comfortable. And then, and but really the whole thing is like, he knows that she's mm-hmm. not his daughter, mm-hmm. but he wants to be there for her, you know, and wants to do that. I want to read this quote Cause it just like melted me. And maybe this is the point where you almost cried. (laughs) I'm going to find a book that makes you um, actually cry. (laughs) Challenge accepted. Okay. Oh, here it is. Okay. So it's towards the, it's not the end end, but it's towards the end. It's in chapter 25. And she asks him, you know, do you know that you're not my father? And he says, define father. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she says, well, by that, I mean the man who gave me half my DNA. And he says, no, I'm not. But if you go with another definition, meaning a man who wants to be in your life and help raise you, then yes, I am. Like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, that's just the sweetest thing ever. Like, yeah, 
who does this? Who takes in the daughter of somebody who they once loved, but were never actually in a full relationship with, like who they haven't ever met. It's been 16 years since they've seen that, the mother. And yet they do this. I mean, it's so fantastic. Howard is just like one of my favorite characters that I've ever read. Well, and especially compared to Mateo, Lena's biological father, who was like Mm -hmm. gaslighting Lena and who was, well, emotionally abusive to Hallie, right? Like just, Mm -hmm. just not a great dude. And then you've got Howard on the opposite side and just totally caring and compassionate and kind. And like, unfortunately, so did you, did you clue in that Howard wasn't her biological father? Like, when did you realize that was going to be what happened? Yes, I did. Because there's the one night when he has some friends over and Lena comes in and meets them. And then she goes upstairs and she hears one of them say, is that the photographer's daughter? And he says, yes. But that's all he says. Like, he doesn't say, yes, and she's my daughter, too. Because if I feel like if they're his really good friends, they would know that if she was his daughter or like he would have said something, but he doesn't. So that was the point where I was like, okay, he's not her biological father. Point for me was when the couple from like the southern states, they're at Like the the tacky tourists. That's right. The the tacky tacky tourists. tourists. When the tacky tourists, like the woman says something like, I've never seen a a daddy and a daughter look so different. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh my goodness, he's not her biological father. And then after realizing that, I spent the rest of the book trying to convince myself that I was wrong because, (laughs) because I just wanted him to be her dad so badly. I was like, maybe it's just a big red herring. Like maybe this Mateo dude is like, not her biological father after all (laughs) and this has been a total red herring and she's gonna come back and feel all ashamed or whatever and he's gonna like howard is gonna take care of her but no no mateo was her biological father uh scumbag and and then howard is like i mean of course then he is a much stronger more um like well-developed character and a better man Mm -hmm. because because he's not her biological father and so he effectively adopts her yeah because because that's what Hallie wanted right like Hallie wanted um him to know that that Hallie loved him but also that someone was taking care of Lena the way maybe Hallie should have been taken care of in the first place right so it's like Oh, it was really beautifully done I loved it but I was just after realizing Lena wasn't his biological father or daughter. <laughs> I was just like the rest of the book trying to convince myself. I was even doing the math. Like oh. at one point, <laughs> at one point, it's like me. And Lena had said at some point, like, well, she should have conceived me around this time because, you know, I'm born in December or whatever. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, shoot, she's still not with Howard. There's no way that Howard is her biological father. Like I was just holding on to it. <laughs> I know because you want him to be so bad because he is such a great person, but it's all right. She ends up staying with him in the end. So it's it true. Out. It's true. And adoption, like it is just as magical and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like her chosen family yes. is more powerful. Right. And, and Agreed. it's like, not just her chosen family. It's what her mom chose for her too. Right. right. So, and also ends with a fantastic boyfriend. So there's that. 
bonus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So Howard is just fantastic. I want to talk about too, just for a couple of minutes, like the different places that are talked about in Florence. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because again, having been there myself, like, Oh, I just loved it. Also, what was really cool. So one of the things that is mentioned is the, the statue called the rape of the Sabine women. I have seen that myself. Here's the funny thing about this. The plaza that it's in, that they saw it in. So that statue that's there is actually, it's not the original one. It's a replica. That plaza, there are a whole bunch of statues like that. And they're all replicas of the originals. And the originals are all in the museum. So, but I didn't know the actual story behind it. So it was really cool to, to hear the story because, you know, when you do hear the name, the rape of the Sabine women, it brings to mind one thing, like you think this is a story, but then, but then hearing the actual explanation of it in the book, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense with what the statue looks like too. So it was really cool to kind of have that insight into it. And this, the same thing, like with um, Ponte Vecchio, like I didn't know the history of the bridge and how it was built, but when Ren was telling her about it, it makes so much sense with the way that the bridge is structured too. So it's really cool. I like, I like the background information on that kind of stuff. I'm a history buff. We know this because you and yeah. I both like to listen to, oh, what's her name's podcast? Dana Schwartz's yes. Noble Blood. Yes. It was all the history stuff. Yeah. I, well, and okay. So a little extra, I think, and this is part of the reason that a, I want to go to Florence so desperately and B, um, this book, like landed for me is that my father is an art teacher. And so he, he's an artist and he teaches art history and he loves art and he's been obsessed with Italy for as long as I can remember him and my mom went, I think for their 25th wedding anniversary or 20th wedding anniversary to, to Florence. And they actually did like a creative Oh, it it was like a creative retreat, essentially. So they spent like three weeks in Florence and they just did a workshop on creativity. And it was really like really cool. And so they actually the rape of the Sabine woman like that um, like story wasn't new to me. Like I was like, oh, I totally know this little like piece of history because my father um, would have at some point I'm imagining taught us about these different statues he talks about Michelangelo a ton like Mm -hmm. just like kind of that background knowledge that I've grown up with and so yeah so that was like really cool to see something that I didn't even knew like I didn't know that I knew that um pop up in this book and then you're right like she does that with a lot of different things the boar right with the Mm -hmm. rubbing the boar's nose I actually went after I read this book and asked my dad if him and my mom had gone there he's like you bet we rubbed that pig's nose like he was (laughs) like he was like I want to retire in Florence sort of seriously (laughs) well because here's the other thing there is an art museum in Florence where Michelangelo's David is that's where it is and I have seen it and let me just tell you something like with with David and these other statues what seeing it in a picture Mm -hmm. like it's great right 
But when you see it in person and you see all of the detail and you think somebody sculpted that out of a piece of stone, you know what I mean? Like, it's amazing. Michelangelo, I mean, David, the statue of David, right? It has veins. Like you Mm -hmm. can see his veins sketched into it. Like it, I mean, it's the most amazing thing I have ever seen. I literally stood there gawking at it and not because he's naked and he's got a big, you know, now, <laughs> just so we're all clear on this. <laughs> no, um, it's like, it's just breathtaking to see mm-hmm. it in person. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I had, I walked in a circle around it. I don't even know how many times just like taking it all in because it's so amazing as are like all of those sculptures and statues yeah. that are in Florence. It's fantastic. Well, and, and just even Florence being the birthplace of the Renaissance, right? Like mm-hmm. such a major historical art and culture movement. Like, so I loved that those elements were in this book and just like all the way through, you, yeah. you know, because there is so much of the, like, like that tourism, except it's, it doesn't feel like tourism because Lena's going with people who live there, who know the area. And so it's, right. it feels way more intimate than just like the, the tacky tourists at the beginning of the book who are like doing yes. tourism right and so yeah I and yeah the the statues are something else like that is mm-hmm. a medium I can't even comprehend the kind of level of skill and mastery that you need to craft something that realistic out of stone or marble right. or whatever and like what's the one with the veil do you know what I'm talking about the woman and she's like in a veil is that mm-hmm. Michelangelo's work too I feel like it might be I'm not sure actually well, it's like, it's like this woman and she's wearing a veil and like the way the veil rests on her face, you actually like see her face beneath the veil. Like it looks Mm -hmm. like the stone is see-through the way it's done with the folds of the fabric. And like, every time I see photos of that, I would love to see it in person. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's an Italian Renaissance sculpture. So I'm pretty sure it's Michelangelo, but it might not be, I don't know. Um, like, that level of craftsmanship I'm like holy smokes because to make stone look like see-through fabric is like just out of this world right right yeah that's crazy I'm just which is why going to Italy in general is so amazing to see all of the artwork and stuff that's in the different cities but especially in Florence I mean the the Duomo where they go to visit too that cathedral in itself is just fantastic and those doors like they were talking about like you could stand there and stare at those doors like forever and not catch every detail because they're so intricately carved and there's so much like they're just it's just breathtaking it really is I wish we built houses like that still (laughs) like this is this is my whole thing about character homes and like original finishings and stuff like that is that Mm -hmm. like our homes don't have the same artistry or craftsmanship that would have gone into like those like detailed wood carving on your banister or whatever and I mean obviously like I'm thinking more Victorian architecture and stuff but even gothic like it's we don't have artisans carve things for our houses anymore the way that it would have been done maybe long time ago and so if I ever become a billionaire 
actually, I don't really believe that billionaires should be a thing. But if I ever become a millionaire, um, I think I would like to have like artisans do that kind of yeah. stonework and woodwork because it's gorgeous. It's just like so pretty. It is. I love it. Now, of course, we cannot talk about this book and what happens in it without discussing the food as well. Okay. Absolutely. I love, okay. There's, there's two like super fun quotes in here when Lena discovers food, although it's desserts for both of them. So she's at Ren's house and Ren's mom gives her a cookie. She calls it an Italian Oreo. <laughs> Cause it's like a sandwich cookie with vanilla on one side and chocolate on the other. And it's got the cream in the middle. Okay. Here's what she says. I bit into it and a choir of angels started singing. Did Italian food has some kind of fairy dust that made it way better than its American counterparts? <laughs> like, I, I mean, it really does like, okay. We have over here in America. It's not, it's not Italian. It's Italian American. Like let's be honest here. Okay. Because having, again, having been to Italy myself, like, it's, it's so different. It tastes so different and it's so good. I, when I went to Italy, we went to a vineyard, which was so cool. And they taught us about like how they make wine and grappa, which grappa will knock you off your feet. Like, oh my gosh, one little sip. And I thought I was going to die. Anyways, it's super strong. Good, but super strong. (laughs) But when we were there, so we got to try like the wine and the grappa. And then they had, um, they also showed us how they make mozzarella from scratch. Okay. And then at the end we had with the drinks, we had like, they had all these different foods that we could try. And one of them was the mozzarella. And let me tell you something. They use not cow's milk. They use buffalo milk to make it. And the flavor difference is unbelievable. It has so, it's so much more rich and intense. Like after the first time I went to Italy and I had that, I came home and the first time I had mozzarella cheese, I was like, what the heck is this crap? Like, this isn't good. Cause it just tasted so bland (laughs) compared to the Buffalo mozzarella. That was like homemade. I was like, oh my gosh, it's just so amazing. Well, and like I, I've been to Europe, um, Eastern Europe, so Estonia and, um, like even there, the dairy products are different. Like the fat Mm -hmm. content is different. The, the pasteurization process is different. And so like dairy, sour cream, those kind of products taste richer and better, Mm -hmm. just better, like objectively better than they do here in North America, because we have a lot different um like rules and regulations i guess around particularly animal byproducts and like what is considered safe to eat and stuff like that that maybe aren't as um stingy in some (laughs) european countries right and so i think that that probably same thing would go for italy right like the food would be richer and more a little more decadent um prepared like not out of a can or not dried pasta, right? Because you'd be making your own pasta. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's a world of difference. And even like the dairy or uh, the cheese products, the milk is different or the, or the cream content is different. And so it tastes like way better. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, 
Yeah. It's like a <laughs> I, million times better. I can't even describe it. Sad, it Cuz right? I love I love cheese and dairy and I love like all things butter and decadence and I'm just like come on America, North America. Right? <laughs> Cuz Canada is no better like anything that we have that would be considered anything we have that would be considered Italian food would be like Italian American or Italian yeah. Canadian food. Unless your nana makes it for you. And then right. that is like, yeah, ah. uh, exactly. My nona made it for me and it was the best <laughs> thing ever. So there's that. Cause I, I am like, I mean, I'm American obviously, but my background is Italian on both sides, mom and dad, like all like the relatives came to the U S from Italy, both sides. So, you know, I got it when I go to either grandma and grandpa's house, you know, it had the homemade Italian cooking, like real. And it was so good. I always, I loved it. And I make it myself, homemade sauce and meatballs. And I, I don't make homemade pasta because it's a long process, but I know how to do it. And I have, I have done it before. It's just not something I do regularly because it takes a while, but it is, I'm telling you homemade pasta definitely does taste a lot different too. My sisters and I are getting nostalgic for our Nona because she lives, she lives in Toronto. So Eastern Canada, and we live in like the middle of Canada. Um, and so we are like, it's not even a quick plane trip. Like it's like, <laughs> like a three hour plane trip. And so, yeah, she's like, she's like way over there and we're here on the prairies and like, whenever we're feeling lonely for her, which will happen, like maybe two or three times a year that we suddenly are just like really desperately missing our Nana will make pasta because when we go mm-hmm. visit her, she makes us pasta and like pesto, like she makes the best pesto. I'm like, you can't like, you can't mm-hmm. buy pesto that tastes like that. <laughs> so, so we'll like get really nostalgic and we'll make our own Italian food, even though we're like not Italian at all. It's just because we love our Nana and miss her so <laughs> much. And, and she's like, so Italian. Like when we go and visit, <laughs> she like packs food in our suitcases, like uh-huh. sneaks it in there to send it home with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the one time my dad caught her like shoving pork cutlets into his bag. <laughs> like, because because she just wants to feed us constantly. <laughs> so, like she was trying oh to God. sneak them in there. So that is hilarious. I love so, it. Yes, yeah. that is. So Italian grandma, it's amazing. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it's it's pretty fun, and like, no no wonder food is such a big part of this book, right? Because it is it's a huge part of Italian culture. It is. It is a big part of who we are and our culture. Like, it just is. It's a thing. Like, in fact, here's here's part of how big it is too, which is not really mentioned in the book, but something that happens, um, when, you know, if you're living in Italy too, and families, Italian families might do this here in the U S too, depending on how many traditions they kind of keep up, but their big meal of the day is actually what we consider lunch. So like they will close down all of their shops and everything for like two hours and go home. And that's when everybody gathers together for their really big meal at lunchtime. And then dinner won't be till like eight o'clock at night. And it'll just be like little bite-sized things, you know? So mm-hmm. it's different, but, but that's what they do. Like, it's so important that everything shuts down for a couple of hours and whole families will go home and have this meal together. And, you know, it was always a big thing in my family growing up. We were always at my grandparents' house 
every Sunday, family dinners every Sunday, all of us together, um, you know, aunts and uncles, cousins, extended family. And my grandmother was, it was a really big thing for her to teach me and my cousins, you know, how to make homemade sauce and meatballs and all these other traditional Italian foods and whatnot. And I loved it. I mean, I love it. So yeah, it's a big part of Italian culture and it's fantastic. <laughs> so, okay. Gelato, right. I have to, this, yeah. this, this is one of my other favorite quotes. Okay. So the, here's what she says. So Italian gelato, take the deliciousness of a regular ice cream cone, times it by a million, then sprinkle it with crushed up unicorn horns. <laughs> like It's just, it's amazing. And the, the flavor that she asks Ren about that she likes the best, it's called, I cannot even, stracciatella really is the best flavor. Like it's a mix of like chocolate and vanilla. And I don't even know, like hazelnut, right? Yeah. Is there hazelnut? Yeah. He describes it in the book, but it's, it really is the best flavor. Like I just don't know what it is, but it is the most. And what's great too, is like when you go and um, I never got, I never get just one flavor. Like you go to a gelato place, you get like a bunch of scoops and you get one scoop of like four different flavors. So you've got, cause you can't get just one flavor And Cause that's the thing is like, you might, some people might be like, ew, different flavors mixed together. Like that's not, but it's good. Like, it's so good. All of them are so good that it doesn't matter. They all taste good. Like if I were to get pistachio and stracciatella and, you know, like a lemon or vanilla, whatever, and mixed together, like they all taste great together too. That's the thing. Like, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just so good. My, my Nana, like, that's another thing. When we go to visit her, she takes us for gelato in Toronto. Like she'll take us to all the places that her, like that are are her stamp of approval sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Um, And so I don't know if I've ever had stracciatella, but I, I feel like it is chocolate and hazelnut and vanilla, like I, and they're cookies too, right? Like they're stracciatella cookies. And so I can see those. And so I'm like, okay, I kind of know what that would be. I'm sure it's like a thousand times better in Italy, but if you had to pick a gelato flavor, what would you pick, Leah? That is what I would pick is stracciatella. Stracciatella. It's my favorite. Yeah. I, I, I've like, I love all ice cream so much. Like I mm-hmm. could, like, I would just eat any kind of ice cream that you put in front of me. Although I am a like huge fan of like caramel praline ice creams or like pistachio I'm sure I could get on board with the stracciatella. So I'm going to have to add that to like a things <laughs> to try bucket list. Cause it's a big deal in this book. <laughs> yeah. Well, and pistachio gelato is also really good. Like that's my second favorite. It's got chunks of real pistachios in it and it's just fantastic. So yeah, I do want to just say something here that you like you comment on something you just said, like you said, Nona approved places. <laughs> Because here's the thing, like it it is so true. Like if you're a real Italian, 
like there are just some places you're like, no, like, okay, here it is. It's Olive Garden is fake Italian people. Like it is not real Italian. Do not be fooled. Okay. <laughs> that, that stuff is crap. Italians don't eat that like that. I'm just saying it. But like, I mean, there are definitely like places like, like that I was talking about the place that I, for the love of God, cannot remember the name of right now that there's one in Chicago and there's one in New York city in Greenwich village, like the Italian market, like that has real gelato, like real Italian homemade food, like actual real good. You know, there are certain places that you go to that have like the good stuff, you know, like there's Mm -hmm. in my hometown, there's a deli in store called Rubino's. Like my hometown actually has a huge Italian population. Um, so there are a lot of like Italian foods and delicacies at some of the grocery stores and different things. And there's this one store Rubino's and it's, I mean, just fantastic. Like that's where you go to get the Italian stuff, you know? So (laughs) I've recently, I was happy to discover recently that where I currently live here in the South, where there's like no Italian population, except for me, um, there actually is an Italian deli. It's very small, but it's here. And I went and discovered it and I was in there and just like blab blubbering to them about how excited I was that I found their place because being Italian and coming from a huge hometown of Italian, lots of Italians, like it was exciting. And the the owner, like, that's why he opened it because it was the Mm -hmm. same thing, but he's also from upstate New York and was like, there's nothing down here and there needs to be something. And so I'm like, I love you. This is not my favorite place. So (laughs) I love you, dude. Well, and, and it is like, like food is connected to memory and it's connected Mm -hmm. to family and culture. And so like food, food moves something in us and, and not just like feeding our physical bodies, it feeds us deeper than that too. And, and so it's like, yeah, like, and that's really obvious in love and gelato. It's like Mm -hmm. right there in the name, right? (laughs) Right there in the name. Um, and, and like, oh man, it just makes me hungry. I'm like, do right? I need to go get ice cream? Like, <laughs> do, do I need to, it feels unfair to compare gelato and ice cream. Cause I know that there's a huge difference, but yes. I'm like in small town, Saskatchewan, where I am from, <laughs> I'm not going to find gelato. It's just not going to happen. So we do have an ice cream store though. So I might have to go there after this. Okay. Hey, it's better than nothing. You know, exactly. You, take what you can get. So I did find one. There is a place in Charleston because we go to Charleston a lot because it's only like mm-hmm. an hour and a half from us. There is a place in Charleston that has like real gelato. So, and that's, it's really good. So I, I'm, <laughs> you know, I haven't been there in a while because my boys really like this other ice cream place that we go to because. Um, I like to support them because my son has a life-threatening food allergy and the owner of the ice cream place does as well. And so he's really great with food allergies. So we usually go there, but I do need to go back to the gelato place next time because yeah, (laughs) it's just good. Anyways, I hope that we have made all of you listening successfully hungry by now. (laughs) And I also hope that we've made you want to travel to Italy. So, you know, anyways, let's um, wrap this up. Well, Victoria, why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on social media and your website and all of that stuff? Yeah, 
Absolutely. So um, as Leah said at the beginning of the episode, my name is Victoria Coops. That's K-O-O-P-S. Um, and I am an emerging young adult author in Canada. So um, my novel is going to be published by Groundwood Books in spring 2024. I'm currently really busy working on it. I have to say that so that my editor doesn't come after me. <laughs> She's the loveliest person in the world. She'd be so nice about it. But um, I I have a lot of work to get done this summer, get all my edits done. Um, and so if you're interested in reading about like, hmm, well, if you like Stranger Things, you're going to like my book because it's about Dungeons and Dragons and nerd culture and homophobia, and it's got lots of good stuff in it. And so you can find me on all the social medias, um, even TikTok. I signed up for TikTok because my <laughs> sister made me. Um, and that would be at Victoria Coops Writes. Um, you can also find me at my website, www.victoriacoops.com. Um, yeah, and it's it's just really exciting. Like I'm kind of at the precipice of launching my writing career. I have known Leah since pretty much the beginning of YA Book Chat, right? Yeah. So she's been on this journey with me. And I'm super excited, like in the next year or so, to join her as an author for yes for one of those episodes. So it's going to be super fun and you can join the show. You can follow me right now and say that you knew me before I became <laughs> big and famous and have my own Netflix special. Yes, that is right. We are, we are aiming for that. <laughs> and I will put links to Victoria's website and her social stuff in the show notes for today. So you guys can click there and check all of that out. Well, thank you, Victoria. It is always so fun when you are here and I love all of our chats. I'm so glad you could do this book with me. Thank you so much for having me anytime. Of course. And thank you to all of you for listening and uh, especially... <laughs> making it through all of the random things that went on in this episode and all the food talk. So, uh, but thank you for listening and we will chat again soon. Today's episode featured the book Love and Gelato by Jenna Evans Welch. Be sure to follow YA Book Chat on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get your episodes as soon as they are available. Have you checked out the YA Book Chat Patreon page? You should. There are lots of great perks for all members. Head on over to the link in my Instagram bio for more information. YA Book Chat is hosted by, was created, and edited by me, Leah Stuhler.